Shenanigans live streaming podcast where your favorite hosts bring the most interesting topics of the week to you and to our panel to discuss and ultimately determine if it's truth, lies, or shenanigans. And of course, we always try to have some fun with shenanigans of our own along the way. My name is Neil Nix, and we have a fantastic show for you and some very interesting topics. We'll start with our guest spotlight on Wisconsin-based TV news journalist and blogger, Jamie Perez. We'll be asking about her career and especially how this past year has affected her. Then, Robbie Rock wants to talk about Islamophobia after a tragic attack on Muslims in Canada that I hadn't heard about. Lizzie brings up a discussion about banning the pit maneuver after it was used on a pregnant driver. And Gianni Storm is wondering, why don't more straight men say, I love you, to each other? I love you, bro. I love you, man. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and as always, we'll start with a yeah. quick fire question and end with Shenanigans, the game show. But before we get into the show, I need to introduce you to our lovely hosts, our professor, editor, journalist, sports savant out of Washington, D.C., Miss Lizzie Enders. <laughs> Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Sunday, fun day. Glad to be with you here today. Um, I had a cicada incident earlier this week, but I am still <laughs> living here to tell about it. And it comes on right before our very own favorite special guest host, Patrick Mayer. Mayor Patrick indulged in some cicada cuisine. So when I saw that picture, if you guys go to our TLS um, page on Facebook, you'll see the whole um, video of Patrick chowing down on the cicadas. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, not only two days ago was I screaming bloody murder during a work room session because cicadas flew into my apartment. So you'll see the difference between that reaction, like num 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 num, versus me crying <laughs> my interns because a cicada was in my apartment. However, like Patrick, like Mayor Patrick, my cat Remy, he ate the cicadas. That yeah, yeah my, my dogs eat them, eat them like crazy. <laughs> eat them like crazy. And by the way, Chrissy, we do see you on Instagram. We see you. All right, and our gamer, tech guru, and bonafide rock star with the rock band Falling Machine, coming to you from Sudbury, Ontario, Mr. Rob B. Rock. What's, what's up, what's up? up? Yeah. It's good to be here with my friends on a Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to some lively discussion. Looking forward to our discussion with Jamie. We had uh, a little bit of time with her pre-show, and uh, I think that our audience is really going to enjoy her personality. All right. Yeah. And back after a week off, streaming from Atlanta, Georgia, our favorite model, actress, and co-host of TLS Unscripted, Miss Gianni Storm. Hey guys, it feels like a lifetime. It feels for, like forever. I missed, missed you guys you. so much. We did. We missed you. Too. I know. I missed our topics. It's so different on Unscripted, I'll tell you. But um, I miss you guys. I can't wait to see your opinions, learn something new as I always do. And I miss the audience. So, And I can't wait to speak to Jamie. 
right, Gianni, tell us a little bit about your last episode of Unscripted and how everyone can find you. So you guys can find me and Olivia E on Unscripted Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We talk about all type of fun things. We have food challenges. We talk about relationships, cheating, the education system, God, the lack of God, everything. Yeah, yeah, it's very unscripted. It's all over the place. Yeah. A lot of conversation, it's, but it's a great conversation. So don't forget Wednesday, 8 p.m. You can also download it on tlspod.com or view a TLS show. All right. It's time. I like to always give like our viewing audience a little bit of unscripted and what they talk about. So Gianni, what was the main topic for Wednesday's unscripted? The main topic was actually a Wednesday random knockout. So we were going based off things that we felt were on our, like on our hearts, on our minds. Um, my topic today is kind of something similar to unscripted, where we're talking about like heterosexual men saying "I love you." So it's more of like a subject rather than. So she's, she's bringing unscripted to us, straight to us. So. No, so if she's it. bringing unscripted to us, what? Let's very quickly. Aside from our hot topics today, our trending topics today, what's on your mind, panel? What's on, on your heart? What's your feeling today? What's y'all feeling today? <laughs> I'll probably get into it throughout the show. I'm really interested in the topic about Gia- uh, that Gianni has. So, um, about what are you, what you feeling today? Say what? I just asked Rob, what are you feeling today? Aside from the tragedy in Canada oh. this week, what are you feeling at 4.11 p.m. on this Sunday, June 13th? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. feeling like last night was a, a bit of a rough night and I didn't get much sleep. And that I'm looking forward to a solid night of sleep, fingers crossed, <laughs> before I return to my professional <laughs> life on Monday. All right. Fun. Neo, you got anything aside from this show and topics, you got anything that you're feeling that's making you feeling good, feeling bad? Uh, like Rob, I did get a, a pretty good night's sleep for once. Uh, slept in tonight because uh, actually, you know, the show usually takes up my Saturday, but I was able to get things done early and I got uh-huh. to sleep early. It was awesome. Adulting. Yeah. Adulting. 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 Johnny, what you got? What you feeling, girl? I'm feeling like I'm ready for my birthday. I'm feeling like I'm ready to make a million dollars and I'm ready to see the world. <laughs> I'm feeling all of the excitement. My birthday is coming around. You too, Liz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my birthday's mm-hmm. in two weeks. I'm I'm not necessarily feeling it just yet, even though everyone's expecting me to like plan something big. And I have, you know, one of my besties coming out to visit. Um, it's gonna be a busy week, so I'm not necessarily feeling that yet. Right now, I'm just feeling everything that's going on in sport. Everything that's going on in sport. That's what I'm feeling. Sport. All right, nice. cool. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the show. Let's start it off with our quick fire question. All right. This week, one of the first Muslim women elected to Congress, Representative Ilhan Omar, questioned the U.S.'s handling of war crimes, stating, quote, we have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban, end quote, to which Republicans and some Democrats felt adding the U.S. and Israel to that list was offensive. 
What do you say about the U.S. and Israel being included in that list? Let's start with Robbie Rock. War. Good God. What is it good for? Supporting the U.S. <laughs> military industrial complex, for one. Gianni. Um, as an American, I agree. America needs to be on that list. Okay. Lizzie. As an American, I disagree. Mm. As an American, I disagree. Interesting. All right. I say she spoke the truth. I mean, the U.S. has been in 19 wars since World War II and killed over 12 million people. That's the definition of atrocities. So, all right. So, yeah. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, AKA AOC blasted Dems for mischaracterizing her comments and fueling right-wing attacks. So what do you think the lack of support, what do you think of the lack of support from the fellow Democrats, Lizzie? Um, I think one, as politicians, as people that are in the public sphere, in the public eye, I think we need to be more careful about how we word things about our delivery when we have opinions about certain topics. Now, when I say I disagree, I disagree with the connotation that the United States should be likened to terrorists. That, that's what I agree. That's what I disagree with. Now, I think that nation, we have committed some atrocities and likened it to war. Absolutely. But that's completely different, in my opinion, from being a terrorist. However, um, Representative Omar came back. Initially, she, she did call out the people who were coming for her, who she said, you know, these same representatives, the same Congress people who called me on the phone because they want my vote on their initiative. They won't call me on my phone to have a discussion about this comment that I made. I agree with that. Like, not everything needs to be called out in the public on Twitter. However, she did clarify what she meant. And so let me read you what she said. She said, to be clear, the conversation was about accountability for specific incidents regarding those international criminal court cases a moral comparison between Hamas and the Taliban and the U.S. and Israel. And I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with. I think we do need to be called out on certain incidents, on specific incidents. But I do not equate the United States with the Taliban. That That is something completely and totally different. And so um, I think... You know, I think Nancy Pelosi could have given her a call first. Oh, definitely. I think, I think her fellow Democrats, because I, I, and this is going to be very partisan of me. I really don't, you know, expect anything much from Republican politicians, if you will. So it didn't surprise me that they came out out for her in the public sphere. But I think if you're in the same party, she's afforded a call before you blast her. Yeah. She's afforded, she should be afforded a conversation before you blast her in the public sphere. So, um, I don't want to get too deep, but <laughs> I have to disagree with you on uh, there being a, a difference, a significant difference between terrorism and, um, and wars, um, because... Uh, That's not what I said. Okay, ex- explain. Clarify. <laughs> I didn't say that there was a difference between terrorism and wars. That that never came out of my mouth. I that, that said you can't equate you can't equate the atrocities from terrorism to the atrocities of war. Is that 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 was the gist of what I understood? 
I said, you can't equate our participation in wars and defending our country in wars from an act of terrorism based on an ideology when we haven't been hit, when we, when we have no offense in front of us. But isn't that what Israel, I'm not Israel, isn't that what Hamas and Afghanistan are doing is trying to protect their lands, their homes, their... What, what was the telling when they hit the United States and New York in 9-11? They were making a statement. I'm not, not saying it's correct, but, so, not, but I'm not so saying that it was, I'm not saying it was much different. CIA. It wasn't much different than us sending drones to, to blow up their buildings. No. See, and that was just a byproduct of training that they had received over the 80s to destabilize the area. It was a Cold War artifact that became its own entity, and it lashed out. It's, uh, yeah, it's unfortunately... We're calling their actions terrorism, but it, it, they're, they're yeah, doing very they, much what the U.S. and Israel have done to them. When your chief export is democracy and capitalism, and you're bringing it to countries whether they want it to or not, I kind of struggle that the line gets blurred there. And really, I think that... If you look at the totality of the Taliban, it's not just Mm -hmm. in specific... The totality of the Taliban is atrocities against women, atrocities against homosexuals, Atrocities America has similar atrocities. American Americans have similar atrocities throughout history. But America, Sorry. Does not, America does not have the same type of atrocities. That's what I'm saying. The whole purpose of the Taliban is to be very stifling. We control everything. There's no democracy or even an attempt at democracy in the Taliban. And so that's I don't know that democracy is necessarily the right thing for those people. But... Wait, what? Why is democracy the right way for I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they need to be have a democratic government. What I'm saying is their ideology is completely different and that's the distinction. It doesn't necessarily mean wrong, it's just different. That's the distinction, that's the distinction that Omar made. She was not talking about the totality. She was talking about specific incidents and that's I agree with her on that. I'm not saying that we as are not without any um, guilt in a lot of the, the, the strife, a lot of the violence that we've caused across the world. However, we are not the Taliban. We are not. Okay. So we're going to have to read this. I know we're not. But she's talking the about specific war crimes, and they and should not be. US they should Israel not be tried and reviewed domestically, and that's. I think that's the crux of it, and it wasn't clarified properly because it, it needs to be an international criminal court that sure. reviews these things rather than a domestic court system that's going to be biased or towards its military Which forces. Totally right. And I think you have a responsibility as a congressperson, as a per, as as a public figure of our government, to be clear and concise. Yes. what you're saying. Now, do I think that they, again, do I think that they should have come at, at her publicly before contacting her? Absolutely not. Yeah. And again, I think that that harkens to their previous bias that they have against her as a woman, as a woman of color, and as a Muslim. However, 
I, I think that there is some responsibility on her part as well to make sure that, that you are clear. 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 When you make a statement. Yeah. I, I told now that I agree with because I wasn't clear on what she was saying either. I had to reread it, re go through it again, listen to it again. I just want to say, um, I, I'm not gonna have time to play it, but uh, you know, she she's getting I feel bad for her because she's getting death threats. Uh Jewish Congress people are upset with her. Hamas even came back with backlash, so I kind of feel bad for her situation. But uh the Hamas backlash was interesting because they were like, how compare us to the United States. I know, right? I got, I, <laughs> and I agree with that in some in some ways. I mean... Alright, that was a great quick fire question. I appreciate you guys. Alright. Now, it is time. Let's get in. She's been waiting for a while now, so let's get to our guest spotlight. Spotlight is on TV news journalist Jamie Perez. Jamie Perez, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Great. So happy to have you. Welcome to the show. So let me quickly introduce you to our audience. Originally from California, Jamie Perez is a reporter for the CBS affiliate in Madison, Wisconsin. She's been there for the past three years and only moved to the Midwest in 2016 because of her first reporting job, which was in, of all places, Iowa. <laughs> Outside of work, she loves to sing, craft, dance, cook, shop, and read. And she has a fantastic Instagram page. So if you're watching live right now, check her out real quick at Jamie underscore Perez TV. And, you, and I want you guys to take a look and come back and put some questions into the comment section so we can talk to Jamie. So again, Jamie, thank you so much, so much for joining us. All right, so feel free to go in a little more detail about yourself. Please add one thing in there that people can't Google about you. Yeah, so <laughs> I was whole life in California, as you said, and then um, I moved to Iowa because of my first job in TV reporting. And then I spent two years there, and I've been in Madison, Wisconsin for the past three years doing the same thing. I love what I do. Um, one thing that you can't Google about me is I am allergic to garlic, which is in every oh, Allergic. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not like deathly allergic, but like I'll basically just like break out in hives. Um, so I, I do eat it sometimes just because it's so hard to avoid. Um, but usually if I just take like a over the counter Claritin or an allergy pill or something, it'll usually subdue all of the... <laughs> wow, garlic, that's tough. Right? Really, literally, it's the flavor of almost I everything. everything. I over yeah. garlic everything. I do. I love garlic. Well, it's in everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, in, it's in mustard. It's in potato chips. Like, literally I everything. I it's in mustard. Oh. Marinara. Mm -hmm. like I know it's in marinara. It's like impossible to find something oh, without garlic. Jamie, so then typically when you go out to eat, do you alert the wait staff or the kitchen that you have a garlic allergy? Sometimes, yeah. There are certain things that I know like will not have garlic in it, but I usually tell them like, oh, I'm allergic to garlic. If there's some in there, like it's not gonna kill me. But like if you can avoid it, that'd be great. And I just remember like two weeks ago when I I was getting like really a bad allergic reaction, I told them like I ordered tacos. And they're like, there's literally nothing on our menu that isn't marinated in garlic. 
And I was like, I was really mad about it. Yeah, I don't know how you avoid garlic. I just can't even imagine. Yeah, it's, you can't avoid it. That's why, that's why I eat it sometimes and just try to deal with it. All right, so my first question is, I, as my viewers know, I mean, I'm an avid TikToker, and there's several news reporters that have, you know, have a regular everyday voice. That they and then this developed news reporter voice. So, do you have like that news reporter voice versus your everyday voice? Can we hear it? So, I've been told. Okay, so I've been told that I have. I, I'm very natural when I do my news reports. Like it's pretty much how I sound. Except I feel like I enunciate a little bit more when I'm on air, just to make it sound a little bit more like a like a news presentation almost. So I don't really think I have yeah. a huge difference. Like you can really tell some people's different yeah, voices. Like they say nothing alike. Like they're just but talking. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I want you people to be able to. Say, you can definitely tell my um, journalism voice. For, the difference between my journalism voice from when I am on the show or when I'm talking to my friends or even on the phone, just like That's casual it. conversation. It's, it's a code switch. It's a it type is. of code switching, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I try not to differentiate my voice too much just because I want to be authentic on air and I want myself to sound exactly the yeah. same in person as I do um, in my storytelling. But um, obviously there's a little bit of an element of professionalism that needs to be distinguished as well. So I think that there's a slight difference, but I try not to make too stark of a contrast there. <laughs> I, I think I need to work on enunciating myself. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 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 I know Lizzie has some comments. Sorry, what made you decide on a, on the news reporter as a career? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, so I actually got into writing because I love writing poetry, and I that's something that I've loved like ever since I was probably like in fourth or fifth grade. I started writing poems, and obviously that's not journalism writing. But when I was uh, enrolling in college, I sat down with a counselor to try to decide my major. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just going to community college. And she's like, well, what are some of your hobbies? And I told her I liked poetry. She's like, okay, that's writing. Like, why don't you try journalism? And then I started taking journalism classes. And then I really liked it. So I just kind of stuck with it. And here I am today. Here you are. Here you are. All right. And so uh, before I turn it over to my uh, co-host, I have one last question. So there is, I was on your Instagram page. And you have an amazing Instagram page, by the way. It was a lot of fun to go through. but, you know, the past year was a rough, rough year between the protests, COVID, uh, elections. Um, so it was a crazy, crazy year. But there was one, um, one video that I had come across. And I'm curious if you could kind of like, as I'm playing it, kind of tell us what you're thinking and what's, what's happening. And um, I'll turn the volume down if it gets too loud. But um, just, just kind of give us an idea of what's going on, because I think this was like, May last year or something like that. Trying to get people to leave right now. You want to know the truth? You want to know the truth? No, this is the first night of protest. The truth is, Madison's racist, the United States is racist, and this bitch is racist. That's the fuck. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This was live TV, right? Language. That was live TV. Um, that was the first night of major protests here in so they had to cut out the audio because um, the guy who you see 
shouting there. It continues to curse on air. And um, obviously that night. Like, All right, I'm sorry about you know, you're in a better, safer place now. Uh, tell us what's changed since you last saw us. Watching too. I mean, people are saying, you know, F the police. Um, it's a little nerve-wracking to be out there. You know, I never covered uh, a protest. Now, it looks like they are towing away that, that car was happening all across the country and just here in Madison, you know, we were feeling, you know, it's the same impacts of it. There was tear gas being thrown. We were walking through like pepper sprayed bombs or whatever. People were just, uh, you know, um, looting stores and there was just a lot of high tension. It was a very high tense situation. And so this was, we probably were live on the air for till like one o'clock in the morning. I probably got there uh, probably around six or seven o'clock at night on my weekend. So I was called in, um, it was all hands on deck and it was just a very, um, tense and high strung situation. So that moment when I, when that guy, um, called me a B word on air, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on your podcast. Yes, you are. You are. Yes. You're definitely open to. Yeah. He he basically called me a racist bitch on air. And like, I, it was a little startling just because it's live TV and you're you know, like, what do you do in that situation when you're live, the camera's on, you're rolling and there's tear gas around you, you know, you do. So I, I just kind of let him say what he wanted um, to say, because my producers who were controlling what people see on TV, like in terms of when they're going to cut my camera off, um, they're, that's almost me just like, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, <laughs> I guess we're just rolling with this. But were you scared? I mean, you had to have been scared. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, a lot of the great audience, they don't really take into consideration how vulnerable field reporters are, especially when they're alive. So like Neo said, were you scared? Like, what was your initial reaction or inclination? I was, I was just shocked at first. I like almost didn't even have time to be scared because there was so much going on around me that ha had happened before that, before the cameras were even on that I, that would just didn't shock me that something was going to happen, but I was still shocked that it did. You know what I mean? Cause like, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're like, Oh no. Um, because it's live. So I was a little scared. Um, I had my photographer who was obviously operating the camera right in front of me, but we were surrounded by people. So I think what was kind of scary is yes this one guy was the one that you guys saw on camera but i mean just there were people surrounding us that you didn't see on camera so there really was nowhere to escape and so i just wow. stood there and i just let him say what he wanted and i didn't take it personally because i i understood the, the his anger i understood his frustrations and i just kind of let it happen because i it was live TV, you know. I don't. I don't want to subject myself to an even worse spot than I was already in. Yeah. All right. Um, you did great. Yeah, I, I was impressed actually. I mean, you you stayed relatively poised. I, I don't know. I, I you know, I don't know. I can't imagine what it was like in that situation. But Lizzie, so uh, what, what's your question, Lizzie? So my question is, I mean, again, going back to your background. So you started in California and then you, you know, moved to Iowa and then now you're in Wisconsin, like just in both in your professional and personal life, what's been the biggest challenge or what was the biggest shock for you coming from California to Iowa to Wisconsin? So biggest challenge and big, biggest shock are two actually different questions for me, just because the biggest shock was I grew up in Sacramento and then I moved to Los Angeles to go to school. So I moved from LA to Sioux City, Iowa. 
So one of the biggest cities in the country to a city that lots of people like probably don't even know exists, right? So it was just the culture shock was very different. I came from a very big, diverse city, lots of things happening to a quiet town where like not a lot, not a whole lot is going on, right? So that that was the biggest shock. I think the challenge was moving so far away from home, no family, no friends, didn't know the area, had nothing to do, was by myself. Yeah. And I think dealing with the culture shock and being truly alone was the biggest challenge yeah. for me. I did a lot of like self-growth, self-healing, because I had nobody to be with other than myself and my thoughts. So it was very, wow. you know, very an opportunity for me to grow a lot, like personally and professionally, which I definitely did. I definitely grew a very thick skin in both realms of that. <laughs> My second, my, my second, because I totally understand. My second question is, what's the difference in news coverage that you feel, especially as a journalist coming from Sacramento, where it's kind of like a little bit of everything, Sacramento, LA, California, and then you're in a smaller. So what has been, what do you think as um, a reporter, a journalist, the difference in news coverage and how you're Madison now, how Madison covers the news versus what you grew up with in Sacramento? Good question. That is a good question. Um, well, there are a lot of similarities, actually, um, that would be a little bit, you'd probably be surprised by because I feel like the, the idea of news is the same regardless of where you are. But what's important to certain communities is going to be different. So like when I moved to Iowa, it was very like farm and agriculture and politics were like creating okay. our newscast right. time. Um, here in Madison, Madison's a very um, progressive area. I think they call it like the yeah. lot of blue and red state. So it's very progressive here. So the things that matter here, like, I mean, I really try to focus on positive news stories to like storytell and find a character that will make people care about a topic. And I feel like um, not every city or market for TV news necessarily caters to that. So Madison, it has been very like heartwarming in that sense, because I, I feel a sense that people really care about one another. They care about the arts and the culture and food. And so those are the types of things that lead the newscast, because obviously with news, it's, you know, it's about ratings. So we have to cater to what the audience wants. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, um, the similarities across news, obviously, like, you know, we cover fires and shootings and all the things that bleeds it leads type of thing. So that in that sense, news is essentially the same no matter where you are. Are the politics yeah. different? Do you think the politics are different? I'm sorry, they have to be different. They, yeah, they are. I mean, if you're going from... California politics to Iowa oh, or Wisconsin. Wow. <laughs> There's a big difference there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just depends on, you know, what's going on and who the politicians are that dictate how, what news coverage it's going to get. So, yeah. So we do have some comments sure. online. Paulette Bertrand says, you are a very composed lady. I would have fainted. <laughs> Jeanette Brown says, news reporters are trauma reporters. You have to learn to keep your cool. Well done. Glad you stayed safe. Um, my question was, what is one of the most interesting news story you have covered or what is um, your favorite type of news to cover? I know you said you try to focus on positive things. 
Yeah. So um, there was a story, I would say the most, not necessarily the most interesting, but the most impactful, one of the most impactful stories that I ever did was um, during Christmas, we got an email from this guy who says, um, my dad has terminal cancer and for Christmas, he wants as many Christmas cards as possible. So I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like the, a heartwarming story altogether, like dibs, I'm covering this. And so that's really the type of stories <laughs> that I like to cover, like heartwarming, emotional stories, stories that is going to make the audience cry, make people feel something. Because I think yeah. that's that's what makes my heart beat. And those are the days that I look forward to the most, is the days that I do stories where people care yeah. about the story that they're watching. Because I'm sure everybody can relate to seeing something on the news where like, I don't care about this, or why are they covering this? I don't want to be that story. I want to be the person that you watch that you care about, that you want to see when I'm covering everything. So anyways, the story, I ended up doing the original story, just that the guy wants as many Christmas cards as possible. If you have time, go ahead and send it. This man ended up getting half a million Christmas cards from around the world. And so we wow. did a follow-up story. Wow. Yeah, we did a follow-up story wow. with literally stacks and stacks in their garage just filled with Christmas cards. And it like literally, like every day I was crying because the family would text me like updates of this is what we got today. And just so many people did so many good things for the community just or for this family beyond the Christmas cards. I mean, they donated yeah. things to schools in their names. They planted trees in this man's name. I mean, just a, just a whole range of things that you possibly imagine. And my heart was so filled. Like, like I helped. And so um, the guy that asked for Christmas cards had terminal cancer and he ended up passing away. And that was probably one of the hardest days of my life um, to do a story where you truly care about yeah. the people that, you know, are, that this family let me into their lives during probably one of the most difficult things that they will ever have to go. So it touched me. It touched so many people. Um, that was definitely one of the most impactful and memorable stories that I've ever done just because of how far that story reached and like what it did for this family. Yeah. It, I can't imagine it's got to be tough to separate, you know, those those personal things. Because like we've had people on this show that, you know, dealt with COVID. We, we did a COVID chronicle series. And I mean, you know, it's tough. But I mean, when you're when you get caught up with people that you're you're, you're working with or that's got to be tough to kind of deal with. Well, I didn't, I didn't really separate it because on air, like literally the second story that I did to follow up, just basically announcing that this man got half a million Christmas cards. So I, the story ran and then it came back to me on camera to just kind of add like tag out or final comments of what I was going to say. And I like, I ugly cried on it. Like, <laughs> I try not to cry on it. I, I ugly cry as well. So. I, was just, I was a mess. And I was like, please don't, <laughs> don't watch this again. I can't watch this again. But it was, it was to me that I just had to share it. And I was like, all right, y'all are going to see me ugly cry. Cause that's like, that, that was real. It's like live TV. That's just what happens. Like yeah. I couldn't hide it. That's how I felt, you know? Yeah. I've been close a couple of times. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. They haven't gotten an ugly cry out of me yet. <laughs> Robbie Rock, go ahead. Um, so I'm very curious how much of the production you control versus the media agency and what, how big of a team do you work with? Uh, in the field, in the studio, because I know that they try to, they've really kind of got you down to skeleton crews over the last couple of years when you're out there. So I'm just curious what your process is and how the challenges that you have in your day to day. Yeah. So there's like 12 questions in that. I know, right? <laughs> um, my job title 
technically an MMJ, which is a multimedia journalist, which means that I do everything production-wise from start to finish. So I come up with the story ideas. I pitch them in the morning meeting. I'm assigned them by uh, my boss, whichever one of my pitches they feel that um, has the timeliness of today, has a value for um, the community, et cetera, et cetera, that determines newsworthiness of the day. And then I go set up the Mm -hmm. interviews. I go shoot it. I edit it. I present it on air. I write up the web story. And then I come up with the pitches for the next day. And that's all happens in a span of eight, nine, 10 hours, just depending on what my story is and how long it takes me to do. So there is a lot. Yeah. So that when you talk about skeleton crews, like we don't have an audio team, a lighting team, like that's all me. Everybody asks where my photographer is at. I'm like, right here. (laughs) So, So, so the only thing that I do not have full control over is, um, which one of my pitches I will necessarily get to do that day. Although I have been getting a little bit better at, um, getting assigned the stories that I want, which is great. Um, but that doesn't always come down to me. So that's up to higher, higher pay grade than I, than I do, but everything else like is pretty much me from start to finish. I would say 95% of the time. Very cool. Wow. I feel like I feel like you asked some other questions in there, but I can't remember <laughs> what else the other questions were. Did she get get everything for you? No, and that's it. Really, I was just looking for a synopsis, just kind of a snapshot of it. And that's it. Like as an MMJ, like when you're having to pitch, produce, edit, like if you're you're doing the entire production process. Wow. That's uh so Tip of the hat, milady. Tip of the hat. That's a lot of work. As, as a journalist, I remember those days. Like my journalism degree is in broadcast, and they tell us. I, I'm sure they're still telling journalists that journalism majors that when you graduate and you get those first couple of jobs, you may not necessarily be in a big market. Big market. You're going to be in a situation where you have to do a lot of the production yourself. So I definitely remember those days. Yeah, some people, um, not every uh, news station works that way, too. I mean, some some places are strictly reporter and photographer teams. So that means Mm -hmm. that that reporter is not shooting anything. um, And it works a little bit differently, just depending on where you are. It really varies everywhere across the country. But I actually really enjoy MMJing. Like, I love having full creative control of what my assignment is for the day of where my camera is shooting, how the story is being told. Like, I really enjoy that. And I, I honestly love being behind the camera more than I like being in front of it because that's where all of the creativity comes in. Wow. I feel you on that, actually. I feel you on that. So there's some co- couple comments online. We got uh, Mike Winters on YouTube. He says, Madison is hu- a huge college, college town also, although it is also the state capital and gorgeous. So I'm sure you have all kinds of news you can cover. And uh, Jeanette Brown points out, love, I guess she went to your, your Instagram page, so love her pole dancing, dance, expansive poses, body manipulation, perfect antidote to a high-stress job. I got to pull a picture up of, of your pole dancing. Let's take a look. This is you. Jeez. That's impressive. It's a long time to learn to be that flexible. I mean, like, years of stretching. Um, I started when I was 18 and everybody always asks how I get started on that. And, um, it's, it's funny because I was sitting in my room one day just on YouTube and you know how, like on the, on the right column, it's like, Oh, you search this, or you may be interested in this. And then, so you just yeah. end up going down like a hole of video searches like that. I stumbled upon 
a pole dancing competition video that way. And I saw it and I like fell in love. And I was like, I have to see if there's classes around me. This is when I was still living in Sacramento. And there were, and I, I immediately signed up. And from day one, I was like, just drenched in sweat. It was such a good workout. It was so much fun. And then I saw other women. I've heard it's a fantastic workout. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, I need to do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I've been doing it ever since I was 18. Yeah, good for you. That's pretty impressive. I mean, flexibility. I mean, the the strength it takes to do some of the moves on those things is pretty impressive. Let's take a look at your, I got to look at your background here. I mean, you've got a a, a cave here. It's like (laughs) a a she cave. It's like awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I call this my little Zen Zen. So um, the roof is like a (laughs) angle angle. So I just kind of put um, like tapestries up on the wall just because I had a bunch of tapestries in the apartment that I was living in before here and I didn't really want to give it away. I had to kind of consolidate to fit into the space. Um, so I put them all up and it's just, it feels, it feels cozy and comfy and very zen. It's very peaceful. And very I love it. It's amazing. Nice. Amazing. Amazing. Any last questions for, uh, for Jamie? So are you going to stay in Wisconsin? Sorry. No, go no, okay. Um, I um, do you have like, I, sorry. Um, okay, I'll ask. One more time. I'll ask one more time, and then you guys. Okay. <laughs> no, I was just thinking back to your initial question. Like, do you see yourself staying in Wisconsin as a journalist, as a reporter? Um, I'm going to see where life takes me at this point. Um, so. In news, we work on two-year two contracts, right? So that's why I was in Iowa for two years. I was in Madison for two years. And right when my contract was um, coming to an end, the pandemic hit. So everybody was like laying people off. Nobody was hiring. So then I re-signed another contract. So I have one more year left on that contract. Um, but I think nice. I, as I get older, I am, you know, your priorities change. So I still love being in news. I still love being in MMJ. But I know that there's a lot more to life and a lot more interests that I have that could be options, but I haven't really made a decision on what I'm going to do with my future yet. And I think that's really hard to say because literally anything can happen in life that can throw you a curveball, that can change your career or, you know, whatever. So I'm just kind of riding the wave at this point and figuring out what I would like to do with the rest of my life. But for now, yes, I am in Madison and will be here for for a little bit. Yeah. For, for another, yes. another year or two, I guess. All right. So a couple of quick comments online before we let you go, because we are out of time. Um, Jacqueline Robbins says, it's an excellent exercise. And then Ashley Jones says, Neo, I think you should try it. Just to let you know, this is not only like a women's competitive sport. Like there are men, especially like there are my pole idols are from Russia. And they're like insane guys that do this. And it doesn't, it's not like what you see on my Instagram is very um, geared towards like the feminine side of pole dancing. But there are guys that do tricks on there that are just like, I I don't know if I could ever do that. Like it's insane. It's an insane, like it's like gymnastics on this, on like, like vertical gymnastics basically. And like, if you're worried about looking, feminine like there is no need to worry about that because there are literally guys that do this like they don't look feminine at all they just yeah, look yeah. like um, we're, gonna talk, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about men saying i'm straight men saying i love you and, and 
you know, I'm confident in, in, in my manhood, so I, I'll try. I don't mind. <laughs> I probably it's, it's more about my body type. <laughs> I'm not worried about looking too feminine. I'm just worried about falling off and breaking something. <laughs> it, is, it is very hard. All right. So I want to thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. This was a great time. We loved having you. You got to find her at Jamie underscore Perez TV on Instagram. Fantastic Instagram page. Any last words, Jamie, before we let you go? No, just thank you guys for having me. And then, you know, obviously promoting my Instagram. That's cool, too. But I, I just like talking to people and getting... I think it's important for people to get to know uh, the personalities behind news because I feel like news these days, a lot of people think that we're just like heartless robots. And I really, you know, that, that hurts because I know that I'm not. We're people just we're regular people with families who want to achieve the same things in life as everybody else, love and happiness. Like that's all we really want. And we're just doing our job sometimes. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always what you want. But um, I think you, you know, guys just, have some of the hardest jobs, to be honest with you, especially in the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I try to have a big heart regardless of what adversities come my way. I take nothing personally. Um, so I just try to live by that. And just the golden rule should always be golden and treat people how you want to be treated. So and you never know what people have gone through. So wonderful. Well, you're definitely welcome to join us back anytime. We thank you yeah. again for joining us. It was a great, a great fun show. All right. Thank you so much, Jamie. We will see you again soon. All right. That was, uh, Jamie was awesome, huh? Great. Was that was fun. good. Great guest. I wanted to keep talking to her. I know I did too. We're just so tight on time. <laughs> For me, it's always the young journalism talent. Um, because I remember this and it, a lot of things have changed, but she, you know, appears to be very straightforward and engaging and smart, beautiful young lady who's out there doing her thing. So I love to see that. I yeah. love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's gonna, I think she's going to do some really great things. And I'm glad she came on the show because we're, we're going to replay this in, in 10 years and be like, Jamie Perez on the Good Morning America. She was with us. <laughs> Jamie Perez was on our show, was on True Flashes and <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and get into our main topic show topics all right if you've never been to tls before let me tell you a little bit about how this works each week our hosts bring us topics in the news they want to discuss that host will tell everybody what's going on then our lovely panel will chat about it sharing their unique points of view on the issue until we see our friend genji and that's when we know time is up and it is time to hear from you where we'll take your comments and questions online. And at the very end, we'll check with our panel to see if this was truth, lies, or shenanigans. For our podcast listeners on Apple Podcasts, don't forget you can join the live conversation every Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. We stream on all major platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, at TLS Live Show or tlsshow.com. Let's get to it. Before we get to it, can I just say this? So, Gianni, I've been looking at your planet Jupiter behind. That's Jupiter, right? <laughs> behind you. Oh, yeah. So, you look at it very quickly from a different angle. It looks like 
a McDonald's sandwich. Like if you look at it very quickly, <laughs> like a Big Mac. <laughs> It looks like an egg McMuffin or something. I saw <laughs> I when you said egg McMuffin, McMuffin sandwich. I, I saw the br- the breakfast sandwich. Right I away. see egg McMuffin. <laughs> I see it. I can see an egg McMuffin. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> we're we're loving it. That's some shenanigans right there. All right, let's start out with Rob B today. You have a tragic story to tell us. Tell us what happened to this poor Muslim family in Canada. Well, the it initially began in 2007 when the Afzal family moved to Canada from Pakistan in search of a better life, and they found themselves in London, Ontario. Now, unfortunately, a week ago today, um, the the Afzal family was struck by a truck driven by a 20-year-old Caucasian male. Um, Salman Afzal, 46, his wife, uh, Madiha, 44, their daughter, Yumna, 15, and Salman's mother, 74, are dead. Their nine-year-old son, Fayez, survived and remains in hospital, but is now listed in stable condition. On Monday... The 20-year-old man was charged with four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder in the hit-and-run involving the pickup truck. Um, Now, they believe that the family was targeted because of their Muslim faith. Um, The uh, police investigation is ongoing. And on June 9th, just a few days ago, uh, they came out. The quote was, this is a terrible tragedy, and our hearts go out to the people who have been affected. Uh, This was from Facebook. There's absolutely no placement on our platform for people who allegedly commit such horrendous acts. We have removed the suspect's Facebook account. So they've basically nuked his online uh, presence. So if you try to find anything about this guy, the only thing you're going to find is the story. And I'd rather not name him because I hate giving these people any infamy whatsoever. Uh, Paul Waite is the detective superintendent at the London Police Services in Ontario revealed that terrorism charges are also possible against this individual uh, because there's evidence that this was a planned premeditated act and that the family was targeted because of their Muslim faith. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, condemned it as an act of terrorism, as did Ontario Premier Doug Ford and the National Council of Canadian Muslims over the course of the last week. So the attack has led to calls for the government to act on a promise to implement online hate legislation that would crack down on hateful material being posted on the Internet. Uh, but unfortunately, anti-Semitism, anti-Asian sentiment and Islamophobia are alive and well in Canada, which just boggles the mind. Uh, Mike Arnfield, a former London police officer who's now an associate professor in criminology at Western Ontario, says that the case is unusual because... People linked to such killings tend to have tend to leave behind digital legacies and a trail of hatred online. So that's why with the Facebook profile being taken down and people can't getting to it, this guy's a ghost. So uh, can, it's, a, it's really an anomaly. So my question to you is, should there be tighter controls on the Internet to prevent radicalizing hate speech? And do you feel that this is domestic terrorism? Well, to your first question, can I start? Um, yeah, absolutely. So you said, should there be controls on social media, right? On the internet, not social media, just the internet, period. Because social media is a niche. So I'm talking about just finding ways to... 
Yeah, like anything that has radicalizing hate speech. I was going to say, definitely on social media. I don't know how you do that on, on the internet. That's because then you then we then we get into we get into regulating the internet. So um, that's a that's a tough one. Social media, I think, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of them are working hard because, again, uh, you know, we got we we got a strike for accidentally saying the n word one day. <laughs> so we've gotten several strikes. Let's be honest, we've gotten several strikes. But I'm saying, as far as like race, I'm, I'm but, we, about, but we got but several. No, I'm just saying, we've gotten several strikes for innocuous language. Yes, or, innocuous language. Yes, or, or or for things that you know were not hateful. We're not, you know, targeting any group, just random shit. And it's like, okay, so if we're going to get caught, if we're going to get tagged, if we're going to get flagged for this and we can't broadcast, we can't, you know, publish our, you know, very small um, website, our very small show for like 10 days, two weeks or whatever. How are these other hateful That's what I've been trying to figure out allowed to post all of this rhetoric you wouldn't believe how many how many tiktokers have stated that and i know we're, we're getting a little bit away from robbie's conversation but you wouldn't believe how many tiktokers have talked about like the fact that there are so many people out there who are just getting away with this hate speech whereas others like for example us are getting ding nonstop. it just doesn't make sense i think it's because we get trolled though i think that's a big part of it but uh, yeah. To to your question sure. about this, this is a horrible, horrible incident. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, happens often here in the U.S. Probably rarer in the in, in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, we get news stories locally where the stuff like this happens. It's it's like this is just like you know, it's just it's just horrible. I mean, and people are just simply taught to hate, and it's a shame that people are taught to be. To hate because we don't we don't come out the womb just wanting to hate and kill people because they think differently and feel differently, but for some reason we are just passing that down and this this legacy of hate down generation after generation. And then I mean we understand some people have mental illness we get that, but outside of that it's just it's a it's a learned behavior and it's it's just horrible. I'm, I'm tired of seeing it and it, it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about earlier with. Uh, Representative Ilhan and, and this Islamophobia, Islamophobia that's going on. And I mean, it's just people are scared of what they don't understand. I mean, I talked, I didn't get to show the death threat that she had gotten. Um, it, uh, matter of fact, maybe I'll just play it now because um, it is relevant to what you're talking about. It is relevant, just, yeah. Uh, let me just play it now. Um, but is, uh, Ilhan Omar received this death threat from. Uh, uh, some right wing, uh, it's uh, clearly a domestic potential terrorist, and uh, she posted on her Twitter page. Now, I will say it uses some colorful language. We aren't streaming on TikTok right now, so we are actually okay to play it. They destroy cultural heritage, they destroy history, um, just like Miss Ilhan Omar. Because Muslims are terrorists, and she is a raghead nigger, and every anti-American communist piece of shit that works for her, uh, I hope you fucking get what's coming for you. I mean, this is... Ditto, son. Ditto. I hope you get what's coming for you, too. Shit. I'm sure this, this is definitely not the only one she's gotten, and this is not just happening to her. Um... 
This is horrible. All right, Lizzie, go ahead. I mean, I just don't want to make it sound like I am compassionate towards these people because I'm not. I just don't understand how you wake up every day with this level of towards not only people, you know, your next door neighbor, the folks you see walking down the street, but people you don't even know. A whole class, a whole group, a whole race of people, a whole religion that you don't even know. Like, yeah, you know, I've got folks in my life that, you know, I've come across that I can't stand that, you know, I wouldn't save even if you paid me $10 million. However, I don't look at the world with a lot of hate. I don't hate a group of people. I don't hate a color of people. I, I hate individuals. Hate there's are, there are individuals. I hate Trump. There's individuals, but then there's the group. You know, I don't hate a gender of people. Right. And it seems... You know, these people, they just wake up spewing all of this vitriol. And I don't understand that. Like, your soul is just raw and ugly. And I don't know how you sleep at night. Like, I don't consume myself every day worried about people I don't like and finding ways to get at them, to get back at them. Or nor do I wake up every day thinking that everyone is... is trying to get back at me. And so I, 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 I'm always like, yeah, there, there are certain stories where I'm just like, okay, fuck that motherfucker. But then there are certain stories where I'm just like, I do not understand this. I really do not understand this. And again, if we go back to, you know, Representative Omar, like she said, there are people in the Capitol, in Congress, who they haven't said it outright. But their actions show that they hate her. They hate her. They hate her ideology. They hate her religion. And that that overwhelms anything that she has to say, whether it be good or bad. So this just makes me so angry and sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. Danny? I feel like, um, like... Oh, Liz is still talking. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I was just gonna say what I agree with you, Liz. Like when you said that these type of news story make news stories make you mad and and like sad at the same time because it's like with somebody like with a shooting or with like attacks, there's there's some type of motive behind it. With this, I mean, it's a hate driven motive, but it's like. How can you fix what's in somebody's soul? You know what I mean? That's hard to like rectify. So in this case, the only thing you can do is policy change. The only thing you can do is some type of like instead of federal law, like I think in the article, she um, somebody mentioned like juris- a jurisdictional approach, like make it harder for these racists um, online, like Rob mentioned. Um, but in general, like start really penalizing, start really, I don't know. That's hard. It's hard. It's hard because I feel like we have been doing that in America anyway. I'm not sure because Canada is not as, as um, common. Hey, Gingy. But <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, it's hard. This is such a sad story because at the end of the day, it was a whole entire family. And, it, and, and the, the, problem with the, the other problem with the Internet is regulating free speech. 
the government gets involved in regulating the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, thank you for those comments. Robbie, did you have yeah, any no. comments before I move on? I do. I just wanted to thank you all for the conversation and your comments. And I guess I'm getting really tired of these phobia terms is like Islamophobia, homophobia. They're not afraid of these people. They're afraid of their own small ideas and what these foreign entities represent to them. They're biggest, they're bigots, they're racist. They, 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 some of them turn to murderers and this type of hatred has no place in our society. And Neo, I understand what you're saying about, you know, that slippery slope policing free speech versus letting people express their ideas. But when you're hate mongering, it, it's got no place. And the internet is propped up by our governments. So our government shouldn't be propping up a platform or allowing that type of activity on the platforms that are governmental. I agree with you, Rob. I think, you know, it's a matter of semantics, but it's important semantics. Because when you say homophobia, you're not afraid of homosexuals. You hate homosexuals. You know, when you're a xenophobe, when you say xenophobia, which means, you know, a hatred of um, foreign people, of people who are not from your own country, you're not afraid of them. You hate them. And so I think we, a lot of times we're dummy dummying down the terminology to, you know, um, make it easier for these people to say, okay, well, it's not that big a deal, but it is. This is pure, unadulterated hatred. Like Rob said, it's not a phobia, it's hatred. And we need to start acknowledging that and dealing with that, whether it be you know, at the government level or whether it be in the streets. Like, it's it's gotten so out of hand. And again, I feel so horrible for this family because they they were going about their business the way we do every day. They were minding their business, not bothering anyone. And this guy decided he was going to get in the car and crash into them for no reason. Just because he yeah. didn't like their ideology. Like that, that is hatred. That's not a phobia. That's not, he's fearful of them. He's afraid. That's a phobia. That's a hatred. Yeah. That's a hatred. And, and what's, I mean, and what's heart, heartbreaking is the, the sole survivor of this attack is a nine year old orphan. He lost his mom, uh, dad, sister, and grandmother in one shot. Who will never be the same? Who will never be the same? No. Who will never be the same? All right, so comments it's, online. What the WTF is uh, this is Jose is going on in the world? So much ugliness. Jacqueline Robinson, horrifying. If it hadn't, if it hadn't been, if it had happened here, the media would have failed by trying to normalize the killer using a cherub-like childhood picture of him or describing how he grew up in a loving home. Uh, or mental illness. Mental illness. Mental that's illness is the more common that's, right now. And and that's not to say that there's not a lot of mental illness out there because there is. However, in this country, especially with the media and law enforcement, we tend to attach mental illness to a certain hue. You're mentally ill if you are lighter than the common person. You're a thug Thug. terrorist if you're darker. That's what I mean. I'm not trying to downplay mental illness, but we look at it. It is advertised differently in this country. Paulette Bertrand says, I I followed the funeral and was uh, totally impressed with all the speeches, all hardworking, educated people. 
Jeanette Brown, vehicular terrorism really frightens me. Um, it, yeah, because you can't do anything. Like you it can't. It comes, yeah. comes out of nowhere. Comes out of nowhere. Jack and Robson also says, I will say this. Um, I find it fascinating that Twitter and Facebook have done more to hold IQ 25, I mean 45, accountable than the Justice Department, uh, Congress, and law enforcement. That is a interesting that goes back, And that goes back to, you know, where a lot of this hatred is coming from, because, you know, it was boiling for decades underneath the surface. And again, 45, Trump gave these people the right to say, we hate. He told them it was okay for you to hate someone who does not share your skin color, someone who is not white, someone who is not a white male. He made them feel comfortable in their skin. And now we are seeing the repercussions of that. And it's awful. We're all paying for it. White people, black people, other people, we're all paying for it. We're all paying for that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, topic, Rob D. We've got to move on to our next one. Uh, Lizzie. Truth, lies, shenanigans. You want to talk about this pit maneuver stuff. Tell us what's going on. So pit maneuver, for people who don't, who aren't in law enforcement or who have not been pulled over, um, PIT, P-I-T, as it relates to law enforcement and traffic violations, PIT refers to pursuit intervention technique, okay? So what we are dealing with now is a story that, you know, came across um, the media, you know, got hyped up over the past week. This is out of the state of Arkansas. There was a woman who is suing a state trooper after she claimed that he performed a PIT maneuver dangerous suit intervention against her um, during a traffic stop. He clocked her, I believe, during 84, 84. In, a, 84 in a 70 mile per hour um, portion of the interstate. He drove up on her um, with his lights, you know, with his um, police lights and sirens going on and felt that she didn't pull over fast enough. She didn't, he felt that she didn't acknowledge that he was trying to pull her over. And so what he did was he did the pit maneuver, which he took his car and rammed into her. So he was behind her pursuing her on the highway. He rammed into the back of her car, causing her to flip and crash. And this was a woman who was pregnant at the time. So Neo's going to show you, you know, footage of um, the actual incident in the moment. But while you're watching this footage, I want to ask the question or ask the panel, ask our viewing audience, do you think these pit maneuvers need to be banned? So let's just take a quick look and I'll, and I'll give you as you after you watch this, I'll give you some more background information on what the laws are in terms of um, stopping over, stopping, you know, pulling over on the highway when, you know, a cop comes behind you and lets you know that you are being stopped and we need you to pull over. But I just want you to watch this um, and see if you think this was the appropriate maneuver. Gotcha. 
just turning over the hands and it's slowing down. So she got over to the right lane. And then two minutes in, decides to initiate this Did they hit the inside wall? And they just crashed. They roll over. Give me uh, AMS started. Get out. Come on out. Why didn't you stop? Because I didn't feel like it was safe. Well, this is where you ended up. Well, ma'am, you've got to pull over when we stop. It doesn't matter, ma'am. I just left the movies in Cabot. I went with my dad's girlfriend and my nieces. And I was on my way home. Okay, well I told you you were running 84 and then when I... I know that, I know down, that I was speeding, I agree yeah, with you, I was all speeding. You to pull over, ma'am. I, I didn't, I didn't even think it was safe for you for me to pull over there. Ma'am, what we do out here. I We're just didn't feel like stop. the shoulder was big enough okay, well, with the wall. Okay, well this is what happens when people don't stop for us. You we wreck us? We hit the vehicle. Do we anticipate them rolling over? Absolutely not. Been doing this for 27 years, ma'am. And when people don't stop, we have no idea what's going on inside the vehicle. I even pulled up alongside of them. I know, and then blinded me with the light. When people don't stop for emergency vehicles, we end this right here, right now. All you had to do was slow down and stop. I did slow down. I turned on my hazards. I thought I was doing see. the right thing. But I, but do you understand what I'm saying too? I, I didn't think this was enough room for you to come up beside my car and for you to be safe, honestly. Well, I get that, but this is what we do. Alright, Well, again, my question to the panel is: one, do you? What do you think about these pit maneuvers? Um, and two, do you think that she was in well within her right? to keep going. She says that she was trying to pursue a safe spot for her to pull over. And Johnny? With us, Johnny? All right, let's uh, move on to Ron B. Go ahead. Um, the pit maneuver is an absolutely effective means for ending a pursuit. Uh, it's been used for decades, and I really don't see an issue with it because it's not a ram. What it is, is you're basically coming up and clipping the rear quarter panel, and that basically throws off your trajectory. Typically, it causes the car to wobble really, really hard, but you lose your momentum. Um, and, you know, where she's saying that, you know, the shoulder didn't have enough room for my car alone, but my thoughts were also for the officer that didn't need to be standing beside my car. Like there was literally not enough room. She's completely incorrect on that. There is an easement. There's an emergency lane. There's an easement that's right there. And I've gotten pulled over on multi-lane highways. I have. And you pull over into that lane. She threw her four-way lights on. And sure, but she didn't slow down her rate of velocity. She may have still been going 70 miles an hour. Uh, but traveling the speed limit with your four-ways whatever and she really she should have pulled over is the crux so of it. there was enough space for her to do it safely i'm gonna definitely disagree with you Woo! Yep. <laughs> watch me Robbie. we coming at you oh hell yeah i was i'm totally expecting it look i mean listen one he one he didn't know who was in the car he didn't know what was going on i have seen high speed chases happen for shoot Hours 
before they try the pit maneuver sometimes because they want to make sure something's done safely. They have an idea of what the situation is, what's going on. This lady, two minutes in, I mean, there was, you, listen, as, as, as a black man who has to drive through the South often, <laughs> or, or, has, or has driven through the South often, um, there have been times where I have felt scared to pull over in a situation where, um, you know, I might be by myself, unlighted with a police officer. I have the right to wait until I find a safe space to pull over, as long as I'm not indicating that I am a flight risk. She was not a flight risk. She pulled over to the right lane. She slowed down twice. She slowed down when she pulled over, then she slowed down when he put on his flashers. She slowed down, put on her own flashers to give him an indication that, hey, I plan to slow down and stop. She was not running from him. She was not trying to evade him in any way. She was, to me, even when I first looked at it, I could see that she was just looking for a, the reason had to be, even before I heard the audio, I hadn't heard the audio. My first inclination was that she was looking for a safe place to stop. It had to have been the reason because I know on those shoulders, I've been on shoulders like the ones that she had, where she had maybe like three, four feet or whatever it is, maybe, maybe six feet of shoulder. Those things are dangerous. I mean, even when you just stop on them. So the first thought was that she was looking for someplace safe. And two minutes, literally two minutes in to not give her an opportunity to pull over in a safe spot. And he just hits the back of her, flips her car. That's ridiculous. We don't have the full video. We have... We don't have the full context because he could have been the observing he her. On his, his but you, she could have been observing her drive erratically for a lot longer than that. Her, but even if he was tailing her a lot longer than that, this was not a high speed chase. This was not a chase. This was based. He was not. She was not evading. Based off of a speeding infraction. This was not a criminal. This was not someone they had a warrant. It just on. killed somebody or something. This was just a, a, a regular traffic high-speed chase. And even before, before Gianni gets into it, again, you know, Rob is in Canada. The laws may be different in Canada than what they are here in the United States. In the states here, the laws are different state to state. This was in the mm -hmm. state of Arkansas. And according to the traffic laws by the state of Arkansas, the driver has the right to pull over and pursue a safe space by turning and letting and indicating to the police officer by putting by slowing down and putting on their fingers. She did. And so he didn't even know the own laws of his state. There was nothing in this particular traffic, initial traffic stop, initial traffic pursuit that said that this woman, this person in this car, danger to was, anyone in any way. Any type of jeopardy. And like Neo said, he didn't know who was in the car. There could have been a bunch of, like she was pregnant, but he didn't know who was in the car. He didn't know if there were kids behind her. Like to clip her like that so quickly and to assume that she was a threat made absolutely no sense. Even if she and was trying to get just law, to the next exit, allow that. And so that so and to, to your point, Neo, the sign, the next sign on the exit said 
the next turnoff, the next safe, safe spot was a mile away. Now, I don't know if she was planning to drive a whole, an entire mile, but the law allows her, if, if, that, if it's at night, if she feels that she's not safe, the law allows her to drive that mile to a safe space. He would have been perfectly fine following her the way he did at a safe distance until she got to a safe space. And again, she slowed down and she put on her lights to say, I recognize you. And so then to clip her, you flip her? That, that's- it was, yeah, I was, that was way off. Johnny, you there? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I was just going to say that, um, no, I agree with, I agree with you guys that well, I, I I don't think Rob agrees, <laughs> but I agree with you guys that it was it was wrong, only because it did it did look unsafe, and I think we're all familiar with the highway and, and shoulder and that wall is too close. Like anything, a slip of somebody, a driver's arm could ram you guys. You know what I mean? Like on the side, on the shoulder of that highway. So it's very. But I will say I don't think they should get rid of that maneuver. Yeah, I don't in, think so. entirely. I think that they should get rid of it for like those type of traffic stops or whatever. Like it should be only be for like high speed chases with criminals that or people that they are. All she uh, all uh, you have to do is follow the law. The, the pit maneuver is <laughs> not usually used at high speeds because it's a difficult maneuver to establish because you have to get your front bumper to the rear quarter panel and nudge it. It's not a high speed maneuver. It's a low speed maneuver deterrent. High speed but is Rob- putting up roadblocks and spikes. But Rob, it never should have been used by law. It never should have been. She did nothing wrong. Again, I'm going to read you. According to the Arkansas State Driver's License and Law Guide, when drivers are being stopped by police, they have the right to activate their turn signal or emergency flashing emergency flashers to indicate that they are seeking a safe place to stop and pull over to the right side of the road. I got to follow law. And he and he like Neil said, he acted like within two minutes. This wasn't an extended pursuit. This wasn't an extended chase. Two minutes from the time he put on his flashers. So we saw that. He never had the opportunity to run her license plate or anything like this. this, What kind of threat she is? What kind of? Yeah, I mean, nothing. It's yeah. He got lucky in that she wasn't really injured. She was pregnant at the time. She went on to safely, you know, deliver her baby. But this could have ended a completely different way when she wasn't trying to evade the police at all. She was looking for a safe Oh, no. If that had been my wife and my baby, there's a decent chance I would have been in jail for assault on on an officer. a decent chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I, I don't know. I I, I overreact. I, I can overreact with certain things, and that that's one of those things that I might. Have a black man getting killed by police. Uh, yep. Y'all. Yep. That would have been me. That would have been me. Y'all would have been. Y'all would have been talking to me the next day on the show. <laughs> man, that's dank. Or perception of reality. It's perception of reality. All right. All right, so let's get to these comments online. Um, Mike Winter says on, on YouTube, how does it improve public safety to cause a wreck for a speeding ticket? 
How does that improve? That's a great question. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the people behind her could have easily been, you know, been injured as well. Um, Jeanette says there are shoulders that aren't wide enough. Absolutely. These, there are shoulders that are not wide enough. Absolutely. Ashley says it was, if it was dark road, I would do the same to waiting to a well-lit area. If she wasn't increasing her speed, he could have followed her. Um, uh, Jacqueline Robinson's going uh, 14 over the speed limit doesn't warrant those actions by the officer. Um, uh, she totally acknowledged the police. This is from Jose. Um, so, looks like looks like you're in the minority, Rob B. Extreme minority. <laughs> you're you're one out of like forty right now. Totally <laughs> <laughs> could have handled it differently, especially since by law it was within her right. Right. And it's it, it's perception, right? Because if the police officer, it, to me, when I look at that highway. There's a safe place for you to pull over. All right. All right. Uh, Gianni Storm. Let's get to the next hot topic. Let's get to the next topic. Truth, lies, shenanigans. We're once again way over in time. So, Gianni. Love, y'all. Love, love. We, we got to talk about this, even if it's for a short while. We got to talk about this. Hell yeah. Gianni, what's your, Hell yeah. What's, your, um, what's your topic? I'll be quick. Um, so heterosexual men, unless drunk to the point of slurred speech, rarely express their love for one another, for their pals, rather. In a 2019 survey of 1,005 Americans by GQ magazine, 97% acknowledged that expectations for male behavior has changed and in the past decade. But fewer than half of those males were, com- were not comfortable with it. Older men cling on to the ideals of manhood that they learned as the kids in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And in a world where sensitivity is high and social norms are changing, I wanted to get the panel's perspective or opinion on um, this subject. Heterosexual men telling each other, I love you. Should there be a boundary? Should it be accepted? What do you think? I want to start with Lizzie because uh, she's the other female on the panel. And then we'll get to the two males. I mean, should there be a boundary? No, like there's no boundary, you know, with, you know, women saying I love you to t- towards one another. I think this is all a part of, you know, the 20th, latter 20th, 21st century, you know, um, perception of what masculinity and machismo should be. Um, which I don't agree with, but one of the things that, which, which says that, you know, men cannot be affectionate. Men cannot show affection towards other men. If they do, they're gay. They're the F word. They're all of these other things. They're not allowed to come to terms with or express their, um, ability to love, whether it be a male or another, another male or female. Um, one, one area in which, and I, I, want, I challenge you guys to pay attention to this, one area where this doesn't necessarily, in my experience as a sports journalist, one area where this doesn't seem to be a problem is with a lot of male athletes. Mm-hmm. They're always telling one another, that they love each other, especially if a guy made a good play, if a guy made a game-winning shot, game-winning catch, game-winning kick, 
one of the first things you'll hear is, I love you, man. I love you, bro. <laughs> it's quite common when you get Especially when you're really into it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's when you get outside of team camaraderie and into the real world where we start to apply all of these other um, characteristics, um, homosexual characteristics, if you will, to how men are supposed to act. And that's one of the problems I think that, you know, a lot of men have not just in their relationships with other men, but in their relationships, their heterosexual relationships with females. They're not allowed to express themselves. We always assume that, okay, well, he looks like he gay. He acting gay. He act. And it's like, no, he's acting like he loves his brother. And there's nothing to me, to me. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Uh, Robbie? Yeah, so why... I don't know why... I, I don't really get it, Johnny, because I'm very comfortable with myself, and for me to tell my male friends that I love them is not unheard of. Um, I, but I think some guys struggle with it because love leaves puts you in a vulnerable position uh, because... It should be. You're being honest. You're putting yourself out there. You're leaving yourself open. Um, I think another issue is that people associate intimacy with love. So that goes back to what Liz was saying, just having these homosexual tendencies by telling someone that you love them. No, love is love. And it would be, we should be in a much better place if people practice that love rather than the toxic masculinity, the machismo. Just be open, be honest, be vulnerable, because there are select people in my life that if I lost, I would be crushed. So when I interact with them, I try to tell them that I love them. Uh, one of my dearest friends, one of my oldest friends, um, is funny because he does struggle with it. And when I tell him that I love him, it's met with the classic stoic man. I just get stonewalled. I never hear it back. Meanwhile, uh, one of my newer friends of the last decade that, through sport, we're very comfortable telling one another that, you know, I can tell Paul that I love him. He'll tell me that he loves me. I can tell Neo that I love him. And, I'm, and we're cool with it because, if anything, I think it makes me more of a man because I'm honest with myself and the world around me. And by spreading love, you spread happiness. Who doesn't enjoy hearing, hey, I love you, man. Hey, you know what? I love you too. That's awesome. Thanks. You're making the world better <laughs> one little exchange at a time. I, so look, it's true. I'm, um, I don't, I don't use the words. I love you all willy nilly anyway. Like I, I don't, yeah. I just don't. don't do do that. Yeah. So that, you know, I don't know if there's any expectation that men sh- should suddenly start saying, I love you to everybody. Cause I don't, I have a, group, a select group of, male friends that um, I have, and I've been friends with a very long time, Julius, Manfred, Damien, you, you know them all, Lizzie. Um, I see Manfred's online, actually. Love you, Manfred. I, Love you, buddy. But, you know, even when we were growing up, there was always this sense of not being able to say I love you to one another, right? Even growing up. But as I've grown up and matured, over the years, and you know, I know what I am. I know who I am. I'm not. Con- I'm not still trying to figure that out to this day. 
I, I, yeah, I, well, I'm always learning myself in a different way. I'm always changing, obviously. But I know who I am. I know what I am. You know, I, I'm a straight, heterosexual male. And, you know, for me to say I love you doesn't change that. If, for me to say it to a man yeah. doesn't suddenly change the fact that I am a heterosexual male. So I can say those things to another guy if I feel it. I mean, I got to feel it because I, I don't say it to women unless I feel it. <laughs> I don't say it to family. Yeah. Family. I don't even say I love you to family unless I feel it. So um, yeah. it's, it, it's not something I throw around, but at the same time, it's definitely something that is, um, is, uh, can be said. I, I have no problem saying it. Um, I used to. There, were, there was a time when I did. Boundaries. I was going to ask you, like, when I was saying that earlier, Liz, I was about past I love you. What about a kiss or a hug or like, like. <laughs> yeah, we might be going a little too far. <laughs> okay. But everyone's got a line. One of my favorite Rolling Stones covers was after the Red Hot Chili Peppers had recorded Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it's Anthony and Dave Narone that are kissing. And when they were interviewed about it. They was just like, you know what? Like it happened at the end of the recording. Like we'd been recording and writing for months. We were exhausted. And at that moment, it was the final check that was done. Like it was the final edit. The album was done and they felt such relief and happiness. It was just a natural expression of how they felt at that time. And a band is like a team. They're very close knit. These are your brothers. These are guys that you would bleed for. Also, again, again, I, I liken it to sports. Like if you pay attention to athletes for decades over the years, you look at how they interact with one another. Male athletes are more likely to hug one another, especially after a good play, especially after a good win, than yeah. non-male athletes. Look at how they congratulate one another for a good play. They slap each other on the butt. Now I've always with, I've always hugged guys too. I've always, I've never been afraid to hug. I've always been within, a hugger. Within yeah. like the sports circle, that level of affection, some people on the outside I don't slap see, guys on the butt though. But, but I was just gonna say people, <laughs> some people on the outside see it as homoerotic. When you're in the sports, when you're on the sports team, that's a part of the ritual. Yeah. You hug, you say I love you, man. You slap someone for a good I don't slap play. people on the butt. No, the butt. I don't do that. You ain't playing a professional sport, though. So I'm professional. I'm professional. But my my, feel my like perception is that I'm professional. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like, like there has to be a form of, like, a third almost for this? Do you my face? Like, what? You are not a professional athlete. Stop it. Again, go ahead. <laughs> I get paid. But no, Gianni, as far as the kissing thing, you know, I, I don't kiss women like that. I don't just randomly kiss women. I, I, I save my kisses for my wife. But you I mean, know I might what? kiss my fa some family. Go back in yeah. the day, 80s, 80s NBA. Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. Magic Johnson, you know, fame point guard for the L.A. Lakers. Isaiah Thomas, you know, Hall of Fame point guard for the Detroit Pistons. They were best friends back in the days. And each time the Lakers and the Pistons would play back in the day before the game, they would meet at center court and they would kiss each other on the cheek. Not on the mouth. Yeah. 
kiss each other on the cheek. Like in sports, it's different. Like there's this brotherhood camaraderie that's different. But then the people on the outside looking in often want to assign homophobic behavior to that, which isn't more often than not, isn't the case. And that's not saying there's anything was wrong with being a homosexual, but if you aren't homosexual, you aren't homosexual. Not every act of love connotes mm-hmm. homosexuality. Right. Exactly. So let's, let's get to these comments that's so we can move on because this is we, we, we got, I got to I got to do better on time. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so t- Mike Winter says toxic max- masculinity all, uh, causes so many problems. This is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Nat Brown, love equals uh, vulnerability. Um, yeah. My dad says, those are your brothers, Neo. And I said, yes, they well, are. Yes. Uh, he said, uh, Mike Winter also says, seriously, most of my straight friends are huggers and kissers. Uh, I don't have many toxic masculine people in my life. And Manford, he says, I love you too, bro. <laughs> love, you. love you, Manford. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we've been friends since, I don't know, it's been well, almost, well, we're going to 30 years now. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, love it's, that's definitely love. <laughs> that's definitely some love. All right. We Hello. got to move on. We got to move on. Truth we're going to have a very, another very short game, but we, we got to get I pressed the wrong button. Of course, I pressed the wrong button. You did. You did. <laughs> In the interest of time, back. I'm going to run the wrong. No hugs for you on that one. Right. <laughs> it was funny. Before the show, I was talking about I got to make sure I get my buttons together. I'm going to miss one. Hey, All right. So this is. I, I can't see this. Just so you know. Okay, I will read things off to you. Sorry about that. I'm just having, it looks like we're having yeah. trouble with some internet. So, um, but I think you guys are fine. I think it's just Gianni. So let me, uh, I'll boost yeah. you a little bit. Let me give you a little boost. I can't see it. Can you, <laughs> <I'll> see <laughs> you. All right. Much better. All right. So this is our game. It's called What If. We're using the app What If. It's an Android app. Really simple, the app will give us random what if this, but that questions and you answer yes or no. The app will give us the most popular answers to each question. And if you match, you get a point. Person with the most points gets our coveted final thought for the show. We're probably only gonna do about one round of this. So the first question is very apt. So what if the first thing you hear every morning is I love you, but it's always different people that say it. So what do you guys say? Yes or no? You like? You prefer? You okay with yeah. different people saying "I love you"? Yes. I'm okay with that. I'm good. Yep. Straight. Everybody. Lizzie, you okay with different people saying "I love you" every morning? <laughs> Just wake up to somebody new. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not. You, oh, that's you're, true. That's you're, not what you're implying you're right. things. You're right. You're, you're right. Implying. You're right. It does not say that. It just says it says different people, but it could be yes. So it could be like seven different people. <laughs> I, I could go out and have I could go out and have morning coffee at the end of the driveway and just have a random person drive by and say, "I love you, Rob." Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> you say yes, Liz. Okay. Yes. All right. 
<laughs> let's see the answer. Hold on. Uh, wrong mouse button click. All right, let's go. Oh, 37% answered yes, no. I mean, except 63% said no, so we were all wrong. I think the no gets into kind of what Rob was saying. Like, the question is so broad. The prompt is so broad. Um, One, I really don't want to talk. First thing I wake up in the morning, I really don't want to hear from anybody. Let me go pee and have a drink of water. All right. What if you got over 100 likes on every photo you post on Facebook, but you have to squint excessively to have your f- and have your finger up your nose at all the pictures? <laughs> what? <laughs> sure. What the hell? No. I don't care. Fine with that. <laughs> I can do that. I get 100 likes every photo. That's fine with me. I'm yes. No. no. Busy. You're gonna be known as, you're gonna be known as the squinting nose picker, like the, so. the, the squinty no. picker. You said no, Liz. No, no okay. No. The correct no. answer is no. So that yeah, puts Lizzie and Johnny in the lead. All right, we're going to do two more. Two more, then we're done. All right. What if time passes after your watch, but when your watch stops working, time stops forever? So if you're if you're if you're looking at your if you're so time passes after your watch so and when your watch stops what working time stops so I guess it's saying it's not worded very well but uh, I guess it's basically what saying if your clock is moving if your clock is moving then we're going to we're just going to go with this one. if your clock is moving if your watch is moving uh, time passes but if it stops time stops forever. Okay when your watch stops working, time oh. stops forever. Oh. oh, I don't want time. Well, maybe, maybe I should. I don't know. That's hard. It no. depends. Can I still move? No, no, I'm going time stops. No I'm going no. Yeah, seventy-one percent said no because this is stupid. All right, it's the last one. Last one. Last one. All right. What if you could save lives by loving those who need love the most, but it is usually the people who deserve it the least. What if you could save lives by loving those who need love the most, but it's usually people who deserve it the least? Yeah. If they Trump needs love, but he deserves it the least. But then he definitely Fair. deserves it. No. He needs it. He needs some love in his life because something's wrong with him. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm not giving I'll be a hero. don't deserve it. No, okay, so that's the correct answer. So we are going to pick between Lizzie and Gianni because they had the same answer. So we are going with Lizzie for the final thought. I'm sorry, Gianni, Gianni, mostly because of your internet right now. Sorry, I'm being honest. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right, it's okay. Nap Brown says you only get a lifetime of a commercially made watch. No, thank you. All right, let's get our shout out so we can close this down. People have already started dropping off our live show, so it's, it's been a long show. All right, shout outs. Gianni, Aww. get your shout out in while your internet's still working. Um, shout to Olivia E., um, my co-host on Unscripted. Wow, I love you. All right, Robbie Rock. 
Uh, shout out to Jose behind the scenes for the show and for me. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate all the love, support, and all the time that you put into all of this stuff. And shout out to mom who tunes in week after week to watch. Love you. All right, Lizzie Enders. Shout out to Juanita Wall who celebrated her um, a very, I'm not going to give her age out, but we celebrated a very milestone birthday yesterday. Juanita Walls is the mother of a lot of Walls Lanier, the grandmother of my bestie, Miss Brooke Brooke. They had a fabulous celebration for who we call Nana in Denver yesterday. So shout out, shout out. Nana's still doing her thing. So beautiful and gorgeous in her 90s. All right. And my shout out to my bestie, Jam. I'm feeling bad because we had this deep discussion about saying I love you. And uh, I've been so busy after my uh, vacation, I haven't called to say I love you. So I love you, Jam. I'll be calling right after the show. We love you, Julius. We yes. love you. Yes, we do. All right. And the final shout out goes to our pet shenanigans of the week. Let me see if I can pull it up quickly. Jesus. Who got it? Who got it? Henry, submitted by Jose Vandalite. That's my cousin, Jose. You have another Jose in your life? How many Jose's do you have? (laughs) I know. And and the funny thing is, she she works with my wife. So we've got two Jose's working same place. And Jose just, the other Jose lives just around the corner from here, too. I have another Jose. All right. Must be a popular name in Canada. It is a French Canadian name. Is it? That makes sense now. All right, so the caption is Henry, my assistant with Henry, a beautiful gray cat, chilling on the bottom shelf in an office on a bookcase. So great, great job. Great. Henry. All right, to see Henry and all the beautiful pets posted this week uh, or to post your favorite pets, uh, make sure you join the growing TLS Pet, Pet Shenanigans Facebook group. And the photo with the most likes and comments gets a shout out each and every week. All right, and that is officially all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank you guys for joining us. We hope that maybe you learned something new, gained a new perspective, or even got things off your chest. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe. Uh, That's going to be TLS Show. Check out our YouTube clips tomorrow, tlsshow.com. Also, our next TLS Live show is on Sunday, this time June. 20th, not April, 4 p.m. Eastern <laughs> Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll have a new spotlight on Shane Harker, the founder and president of Rethink Resource. He works towards helping companies reach their zero waste goals. Don't forget Gianni Storm, Olivia E. Wednesday, 8 p.m., going unscripted. And our winner for our final thought, because her internet is slightly better than Gianni's, <laughs> Lizzie Ender. That's- Thank Love. Jamie Perez for joining us. Don't forget, follow her on Instagram Thank you, at Jamie underscore Perez TV. 
Thank you, Gianni, Rob, Lizzie, and the people behind the scenes, Jose, Olivia, most importantly, you for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Shenanigans. Shenanigans.